0: money podcast i'm Carlton english
1: i'm alex rosenberg and today we're getting we're getting a little political
0: all right we have uncle sam here today
1: wow <laughs> that's you said a, political it's a very antiquated reference um i well, am
0: a few years uh, older uh, than uh, you are
1: <laughs> you you remember when uncle sam was uh, had those posters up with uh, you uh you you just just do it no that's nike uh he wanted you it he wanted pointing. yeah i want see yeah, i don't remember yeah. um but, but but we're talking about voting, but but not uh, uh, not actually political voting. You're just kind of kidding. We're talking about shareholder voting. Uh, something that's come up recently. There was a big story about a a big vote on on a big company. Uh, which Carlson, I, I know you covered very well. So if you can maybe walk us through a little of what happened.
0: Yeah. So um, thirty thousand view foot view first. So you know most people don't always realize that the stock that they hold that makes them eligible to make. Uh, you know, vote on the direction of the company. That can be board members or any other number of initiatives that could shape the things that the company does. So this uh, one activist hedge fund, uh, Tryon Partners, led by Nelson Peltz, um, just waged the largest proxy fight ever against Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble, of course, is the company that is filling pantries and medicine cabinets throughout the world.
1: And, and it's called a, a proxy fight because you vote your proxy, you, you get a... You...
0: Right, so... You, before the shareholder meeting, uh you'll get a card that has all of the items that are being voted on in the meeting. Normally, so long as you're a shareholder. So long as you're a shareholder. Um so normally it would be who's on the board, um executive compensation, shareholders um who have at least a, I think it's $2000 worth of stock can also um submit something to be voted on, you know, it could be something like we don't want this company to sell cigarettes anymore. You know, things <laughs> The whole gamut. Right. Uh, So, in the case of Procter and Gamble, Nelson Peltz uh, waged the largest proxy fight ever. He bought a 3.5 billion dollar stake in the company. He thinks that, you know, while it's a brand that many of us are familiar with, a lot of us um, unconsciously buy their products every month, every week, he thinks that they could be doing things better. He wants to get on the board and shape the direction of the company.
1: Yeah, he he has kind of a laundry list of, uh, I think they make a lot of detergent, so it's fitting, but he had a laundry (laughs) list of things he wanted to change, right? He wanted to to be split into a three, but under under the same CEO, but different business heads and just kind of a lot of ways that he thinks the business could run more, more. like he thinks they're doing a generally good job. He doesn't want to, you know, have them stop selling paper towels. He just want, thinks that they can do a bit better.
0: Yeah, exactly. And this is something we've talked about a bit before um, a few episodes ago when we talked about Nestle buying Blue Bottle. You know, he thinks Procter... Oh man, I got
1: such a good bag of coffee last week. It was Guatemala. Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I did it block your I, I, world.
1: I like what Nestle's doing here. All right, sorry. I'll, I'll let you
0: but go. okay, and that's exactly it because Peltz is saying that Procter and Gamble does not have that sort of visceral feeling with its shoppers anymore. People just blindly buy their things, but you know, no one's excited to buy them. So one thing he thought that they could have done, if everyone remembers that uh, Dollar Shave Club, you know, they were purchased by Unilever about a year ago. And he says, you know, that's a Brand that a lot of people think this is cool. I get my razors cheap. You know it's easy. He thinks Procter and Gamble should be doing more of that sort of thing.
1: Are Bounty paper towels Procter and Gamble? Is that them?
0: They are. And I'm looking at um some Bounty paper towels right here. And, yeah, I uh,
1: bought some today. I was so excited. I don't know I, what he's talking about. I was like, <laughs> these paper towels, man.
0: You had a mess that just needed to be cleaned up.
1: I couldn't. I <laughs> actually, you know what? I spilled some of the blue bottle coffee. Wow! All right, this is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a little TMI. Uh, so, so let's let's get back to you. This year so excited right?
0: about your Blue Mountain coffee,
1: blue bottle. Blue Sorry, Mountain. blue yeah. Blue Mountain is from Jamaica, though that's also good. Um, but <laughs> to to get back to it, I think it's it's kind of an interesting thing because every time you own a share of stock, um, almost every stock has voting rights that are attended to them. It's just not something we think about, and this was kind of interesting to me because it gave people a good chance to think about some of the rights they, or one of the rights they have when they buy a stock. Um, it was also interesting because your vote really mattered. It was very close. It
0: really did. So a lot of times when, um, you know, stock is held, it's held by large institutions, you know, your vanguards, your Fidelities. And the interesting thing with Procter and Gamble is, you know, 40% of the shareholder base, you know, are so-called retail investors, you know, people who actually outright own the shares and their names and, you know, things like that. So this was really a case where it wasn't you know these big institutions voting a block of shares you know this 40 percent of people like really could have had an impact on the direction that the company took now i mean we should probably say that uh you know nelson peltz lost
1: although he says he didn't right
0: he is waiting for the final tally so we're looking at like (laughs) some
1: hanging chads and stuff
0: See, you're not that much younger than I am. (laughs) You remember that. So Nelson Peltz, uh, this is a company that has 2.5 billion shares outstanding. Nelson, according to early tallies, lost by 6 million votes or 0.2% of, Mm. you know, eligible votes out there. So um, he is waiting, you know, for the final tally before he admits defeat. Um, But the thing with proxy fights is, and I think it's the same thing in, you know, political races, too. A lot of people vote for the so called incumbent. They either do nothing or they just vote for the status quo. So, you know, even when people lose in proxy fights, um, you know, when it's close or even if uh, sometimes even if, you know, the person pushing for the change gets as much as 25% of the vote, that's viewed as significant because most people just do what the company was already doing. Right.
1: Because almost half the people or, you know, roughly half the people who own the stock. Want dramatic dramatic changes in the way the company's run which which is which is interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely
1: You know, I, so I was interested in in how I voted now. I didn't actually vote but um I so I have a 401k I own a Vanguard fund in my 401k, which itself owns another vanguard fund that uh, Interior russian doll vanguard fund owns some png. So I, I like uh, point zero nine, Sorry, 0.9% of the fund is p So okay. I did a little math. I own a bit less than a share of p By the way, if you can use that to f- figure out how much money I have, I'll be very impressed. But I own a little <laughs> less than a share of p I actually voted uh, for Procter & Gamble, or, or rather Vanguard uh, did. It, this was kind of interesting because... So we can talk a little more about the ETF thing later. I think that's why a lot of people don't really think about these rights as much as they used to. But... I saw in in your reporting actually that Vanguard voted with P and G. The other two big ETF names, BlackRock and State Street, voted for Peltz. It's just it's it's you would think they might all be on the same side.
0: Yeah, and in fact in previous in a previous battle that Peltz had, they were all on the same side. Right. This was when uh, Peltz was uh, investing in Dupont Chemical, and they all three voted against him. In the case of Procter and Gamble, the combined stake that BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard have. Is roughly 18 percent. Vanguard represents seven percent of um, Procter and Gamble's outstanding shares. So you know th- this vote was really, really like down to the wire when you think about the big institutions that you know voted for Peltz, When you think about the impact of retail investors, um, you know people's votes actually mattered.
1: Yeah, you know it. it so it's interesting because let's talk about um, the broader picture for for voting rights because I think this is. So I know it's something, uh, you know, as my little experiment kind of proved to me, something I don't think about. I actually am a little embarrassed to say this, but before I started doing research for this episode, I had no idea how my voting rights worked. Like, I didn't know that if you own an ETF, you basically... There have been a few exceptions, a few ETFs that work differently, but you basically give the ETF sponsors um, the right to vote for you, which, by the way, I think is good because I... uh I don't know much about the P and G situation. I, I certainly didn't read uh, Peltz's entire white paper and P and gs rebuttal. Ninety
0: three slides.
1: No. <laughs> oh wow! It sounds like you uh, had a good time with that.
0: You are such a slacker. <laughs> I mean, it's not like Bill Ackman who does like a hundred sixty slides. Like ninety three. I mean, yeah.
1: Right, and I, and I don't. I don't listen to you know all of Bill Ackman's fireside chats. Uh, it's good he's doing fireside chats because the other ones he talked about how cold it was in the room. So I, I guess he switched to the fireside, right?
0: So I watched. it. <laughs> I watched the webcast there. I was actually hoping that there would be a crackling fire, and there really w- wasn't. It was just a panel.
1: <laughs> well, it worked for FDR, I guess.
0: <laughs> it did work for FDR. We'll see if it gets works for Bill Ackman. But we'll move to Bill in a sec. So back to well, oh. yeah. No,
1: I, I so so yeah, so so it's just interesting because I think it's I think it's kind of good the ETS sponsors. I mean, I maybe this is maybe I, maybe I'm too trusting, but but I generally trust uh, uh, Vanguard and BlackRock and say, Citrix to do the right thing, even though they might have some. You know, strange incentives, uh, maybe not so much State Street, but I know BlackRock does a lot of work with a bunch of different people, so maybe they want to vote for someone, want to vote against someone, who knows, but I I generally trust them. Um, But but it's just interesting because shareholder votes really do have value, like economic value, because we we know, because if there are two classes of Mm -hmm. stocks, the class that that has voting rights is always going to trade for more.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, on the whole point of, like, shareholder votes having value. Um, so if we want to go to Bill Ackman, who he is waging a proxy fight for a company called ADP. That's uh, the company that, you know, most of you probably see on your paycheck every week or every two weeks when um, you get paid. And he thinks he likes the company. He just thinks that they could do some things to modernize and do better. Um, you know, the media hasn't been too kind to him in this battle. um, because of the nature of ADP's business, I think it's been tough for what he Human wants. Human
1: to- resources software is that right?
0: Yes. Human capital management.
1: Wow, that sounds even more boring somehow.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you know, a lot of people aren't maybe paying attention to this company um, and to this battle because it's not like a Procter and Gamble where you're, you know. People
1: I think Benjamin think- Moore is more interesting. And that's paint drying.
0: Wow, you, you're just you are. <laughs> Today
1: <laughs> it's all the blue, uh, blue mountain, blue bottle.
0: <laughs> so you know he hasn't been able to, I think, get a lot of. People kind of you know rallying for him in the media, so he and you know among the shareholder base. So he's been trying to hold these kinds of uh, a fireside chat, which was held on Thursday. Um, interestingly, the day that the Procter and Gamble vote was, so that was uh, October tenth. He hosted an evening event to try to reach out to ADP's retail shareholders. They represent twenty eight percent of the shareholder base, so mm-hmm. you know a very important thing. So he said something which, at first listen. I think a lot of people laughed, you know, because it seems like a corny thing to say, but, you know, if you think about it, there's merit to it. So it is. The decision to vote your shares here is as important as the decision to vote for President of the United States or vote for a senator or congressman to represent you. Uh... All right, what are you thinking, Alex?
1: the President and the Congress choose, do we declare war and, like, is there going to be a draft? This, like decides do we, you know, make certain decisions that could make the shares potentially worth more if he's correct.
0: Fair. So but and then he followed it up with it's your company, you get to decide. And I think the one thing that a lot of people forget when they invest, whether it's through a mutual fund or whether it's through direct ownership or whatever the mechanism is, is you know, somewhere down the line you actually do have ownership yeah. in a company. And You know, if there is something that you think a company should be doing differently or not or a direction, you actually can have a say and it doesn't take much money to have a say.
1: Yeah. And this is really fundamental, by the way, because if you own a bond, like they have to pay you back. If you own a stock, you own the company. I mean, you really do like it's just it's not part of the way we talk about companies. There's like if you give the lemonade example of, you know, you borrow five dollars and then people invest five dollars well, it's good they only invested $5 because if they invested $6, they could get rid of you as the lemonade store seller. Like, we just don't think about these things. That we, we have this kind of idea that if you start a company, if you're the CEO of a company, that's your company. But but to your point, it, it's really not. And I think that's part of why I wanted to talk about this because that's something we kind of forget, just the fundamental way that stocks work. Um, and it, as we, we'll talk about in a bit, it's kind of slipping away, you know, in, in corporate America to a certain extent. But... Without voting rights, I mean, they're they're really not stocks.
0: Yeah, and you're putting your money somewhere. I mean, it's perfectly appropriate to ask questions about where it's going, how it's being used, you know, what you can expect in return. It's, you know, yeah, maybe the comparison that Ackman said, it's a little hokey. But, you know, if you think about the broader picture, I think that, you know, there is something to it where you actually can feel responsibility and ownership for what you
1: and and, oh. and it's 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 coming to new um, new importance. Uh, new importance sounds like a terrible prog rock band. It's coming to to. to there's more. Um, mm, wow, greater emphasis. Greater. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but there's a company, <laughs> um, a, a, a kind of a tech company that this was like a fun little story called Open Invest, where you basically choose your investments on that on this app that they have. There's a low fee, and you can basically choose companies that don't oil, you know, CEOs didn't vote for Donald Trump, there's a lot of kind of left-wing causes getting back to the socially responsible investing stuff we talked about earlier. But there's a new um, feature of their app, which is that you can, when there's a a vote coming up, they'll send you a push notification, you can vote right on the app, and it's heralded as a new way for people to vote. Now, you know, this is a tech company, they're trying to raise money, but um, there's also a story in the the Times by uh, Gresham Morganson about how so you know, less than a third of individual investors who own stocks individually, not, not in an ETF, actually will vote those proxies. So, um, it, it's kind of coming to new emphasis, new importance, whatever I'm trying to say, um, as a socially responsible investing thing has come up. Because, mm-hmm. sure, you can make more money, but if you believe a company should, um, like, like, for instance, let's say there's a company that doesn't have, that, that says, you know, no employees can be gay, for instance you can make a change in the corporate culture by making those votes. If you think the CEO is getting paid too much or you don't want him flying around the world with an extra plane like Jeff Immelt from GE, yep. like you can make that change with, with votes. So it's being seen as, as kind of a social tool in addition to an economic tool.
0: Well, that's one thing that I think is really interesting when, you, when people talk about socially responsible investing because a lot seems to focus on finding companies that are already doing whatever the investor determines to be the right thing. Right. You know, and I'm going to put all of my money behind this company because I like their labor practices. I like their compensation. I like the diversity they have on the board, blah, 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 blah. But then there's this whole swath of companies that those investors wouldn't agree with that without that voice investing in them and possibly voting, they still get to do whatever it is that they were doing.
1: Right. I mean, we we talked about um, Apple with, with Zach Toich about how people invest in Apple, and then they were dismayed to find out they used uh, you know this cheap
0: Foxconn, yeah,
1: almost like slave labor um, in, in China. And but Apple shareholders could have collectively said, "Hey, you know, we don't want you guys to do that. You know, you can only make goods in the U.S. Or you can only make goods with these certain working conditions, or or you know, even if it, it costs you money." And uh, well, they didn't actually do that, but it could have happened.
0: Could have, would have, shoulda. Have.
1: <laughs> So I, I want to talk a little more generally about like what drives the value of voting rights because it, you see some big differences in, in share prices. Uh, uh, Google, for instance, has a voting shares and non-voting shares. Um, the shares that have votes trade at just a slight premium. You know, at Thursday's close, I think around a thousand five compared to nine hundred eighty eight for the non-voting shares. Um, Under Armour, uh, a lot more power in the voting shares. Uh, the shares with votes 1748 compared to 1591.
0: I'm sure Kevin Plank loves that.
1: Well, but, but so it's interesting you say that because the reason they have that premium is because people have kind of lost their faith in this, you know, Vunderkind uh, CEO yep. and, and in the way they're managing the the company. So the basically I, I guess the basic idea of it is that the less faith people have in the management of a company the more the voting shares are going to be worth. Because if I if, if I think companies, like, I, I cannot never imagine, you know, someone doing, being as good at being a CEO as, you know, CEO Joe over here, it, it doesn't really, my vote's not going to matter because I'm, I'm going to vote the for... The direction
0: they take the company in is going to be the right one no matter what.
1: Right. But if all of a sudden their earnings are declining, their stock price is in reverse, and their CEO flies around the world with a spare plane, which, <laughs> just to explain the story real quick... Jeff Jeff Immel, the CEO, uh, CEO, former former CEO of GE. Thank you. Used to um, fly occasionally around with a spare plane, according to a Wall Street Journal story. So he's in case he was late.
0: You know what I love about this story and the statement that GE gave, and I don't <laughs> have it in front of me right now, but it was the phrasing, which is so wonderful about this. It was limited use on a limited basis. He flew with his background jet, which of course the follow up question is. Limited to what? Was it limited to every single time he flew?
1: Now, ironically, I rarely fly around with a spare plane following me.
0: I I do not either.
1: Well, I, I might. I just rarely do. Uh, um. <laughs> and, and with and in my four hundred one k, there's one share of Procter Gamble. So you figure it out. Um. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what you don't have the three point five billion dollar stake that Nelson has. Right. Had? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um. So
1: so another way to think about the value of, of shares, by the way. Of the voting rights is you can do a kind of a cross-country comparison so in the u.s there's a lot of different research about the premiums i mean I, I gave a few examples but not many companies have voting and non-voting shares some people use options where you can basically make a synthetic share uh which doesn't have voting rights and to compare it to the real share there, there's some premium for voting rights it has to be because it's a right by definition um but somewhere between one percent, and I've seen it as high as five to ten percent, but it's probably not that high anymore. Um, other countries, though, have had like huge premiums. Um, th- this is some historical data, but two two of the countries. So Italy is famous for having a very high premium for uh, not for voting shares as compared to non-voting shares, and Israel also has a very high premium. Why is that? Well, I don't want to give uh, an actual reason, but why do that? <laughs> I, I, I will say that. You know, not to. I wouldn't make this joke. Okay. But if you ever are with a group of Jews or Italians, the person who didn't choose the restaurant, are they ever happy with the restaurant? Fair. Are they? It's always like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, this restaurant you picked. Uh, the table's not so good. <laughs> you know, uh, the soup is cold. Uh, you picked it. You know, I'll pick next time. You know, um, I wouldn't make that joke because that would just you know, no, 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 crass ethnic humor. Um, it, actually, the, the real reason. <laughs> Is because in the U.S. as compared to in, in other countries, we don't have a big premium because shareholder rights are, are pretty strong. Even if you don't have a vote, if a company does something egregiously wrong, there's you can usually bring a class action suit. Actually, class action suits are brought constantly for everything yep. for no reason. They're actually usually totally frivolous, um, but
0: they're so fun to read, though.
1: Right, because they always find the flimsiest excuse for. Uh,
0: they are just they are a joy to read. I mean. You know, this class action suit, for example, um, against Tootsie Roll, because of, uh, so Tootsie Roll owns Junior Mints, and a Manhattan woman found that they use, I'm trying to remember her exact wording, but it's basically deceptive packaging, and their boxes are too full of air. So she felt shortchanged. This
1: is the most New York story I've ever heard. I know. Um, (laughs) I bet she didn't like the dinner she went to that night either.
0: (laughs) Junior so she probably went to see a movie and you know, it was it was okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, you, you know, okay, here's a fun fact about Junior Mints. So you know that Seinfeld episode, the glass yes. junior Man episode. So so he says he, he brings out Alfred's a Junior Mint to the doctor, Kramer does. The doctor says, Oh, those are very refreshing. Apparently Junior Mint actually somehow sponsored that episode and the original line was the doctor said, Oh, those are poison which is really funny and actually makes more sense in the context of the episode, which we won't spoil but uh, anyway.
0: a- that episode aired probably about 25 years ago. I think we can spoil it now. Uh, 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 okay, never
1: mind. Don't tell me what happens at the end of Moby Dick.
0: No, uh, oh, I never read that.
1: I, I, hope, I, <laughs> I hope it goes well for Jesus in the Bible. All right, so anyway, this is a paper from a while ago looking at the, I think it's from 1992. <laughs> Sorry, it's from 1994. <laughs> Stay with me, Carlton. Um, looking at the value of voting rights in the Milan Stock Exchange, where he says he sees a this is uh, Luigi Zingales from the University of Chicago. So he's an 82% premium attributed to voting shares in the Milan Stock Exchange, which is really insane. And he kind of, you know, does a long explanation of how much this is. And then when he talks about why is where it gets a, a little bit more fun. So... I'm seeing
0: lots of equations in this paper. For, I know, uh, and viewers. it's like really, you know... He's cause... promising it's going to get fun soon.
1: No, no, that's good. So he talks about... Uh... So he says, one of the most likely sources of private benefits is the dilution of minority property rights. Um, he talks about a, a case. So, so there's going to be three companies here in this situation, IRI, FinSol, and uh, Stet. Okay. In October of 1992, IRI decided to sell its minority stake in a software company called FinSol to the state-owned telecommunications group called, called Stet, controlled by IRI as well. So IRI controls itself and Stet. They're selling a stake from one part of it to the other.
0: Fund Financial Engineering, okay.
1: Yes, and so he, he explains, this intra group transfer would have been a simple accounting gimmick, except for the fact that 47% of its debt was owned by small private investors, while IRI is 100% state-owned. The mere fact that such a transfer took place generates suspicions about its real motives, which become more serious when we look at the price paid. 700 billion lira price corresponds to 50 times company's earnings when you know comparable sales were at 20 to 30 times uh, P.E. In addition... of the revenues of STET come from state contracts. Uh, This monopoly was designed to disappear at the end of 1992. Um, Both the voting and non-voting stock of STET lost more than 20% of their value at the time of the announcement of the deal against a stock market drop of only 2%. The big market drop and the presence of international investors in STET generated sharp criticism about the transfer, but I'm not aware of any legal suit brought against STET. Um, uh, The difficulties of challenging these transactions in court and the apparent tolerance of the financial and political environment may then explain the large value of control in Italy. So, basically, you know, if you didn't follow it, it it's okay. The, the point is that it seems like one company vastly overpaid for another part of another company, and it, it, in the way screwed over investors. I don't know anything about the situation. I'm just, I'm just, just reading the paper. Mm-hmm. But his point was that the fact that this can happen all the time in Italy means that you need to have voting shares; otherwise, you're you're in big trouble.
0: Yeah, I. I've studied, like, similar cases where there have been lawsuits where, um, you know, if a company was acquired and the company didn't properly disclose terms of the deal to the uh, shareholders, sometimes companies might try to do a buyback before a deal is announced or something like that, and the shareholders will later find out the company was sold at a much higher premium to what they got their shares for, and they sue. You know, that sort of thing happens all the time in the U.S., but it seems that for whatever reason...
1: Well, and in Italy, apparently, there's... It, you can acquire a company and pay all the voting shareholders a certain amount and it seems like you can pay the non Voting shareholders a different amount or, or maybe nothing at all. So uh, at least at the time of this paper So so
0: and by the by me saying that's sort where of thing happens all the time I meant the lawsuits happen not necessarily that right. these things happen
1: No, but but I, I I think the the interesting thing we can draw from this is the greater the premium the more the market saying you need to have voting rights in the U.S., conversely, where the premium is, you know, somewhere between one and probably five percent, probably less than five percent, there's not a. It's basically saying you don't really have to own the shares; you're going to be fine.
0: Yeah. So the issue of voting rights, you know, it kind of came into the mainstream because it's always been a wonky sort of topic. But mm-hmm. you know, when a very popular company recently went public that you know had uh, voting and non-voting rights, you know, the issue got much more attention. And I'm talking about the Snap IPO.
1: Right, well, because the actual shares that were offered don't have voting rights at all, so so you have no chance of affecting change in the company. Yeah, which which is which is amazing because you know, like I said, it's almost the definition of stock is you own part of the company if you only own a share of the profits, but they they can decide how much of the profits even adhere to the shareholders. In a very real way, what do you own?
0: Exactly. I mean, you're just going off of the whims of the founders, and uh, not only that, but it's a company that does deals a ton with you know personal information, so you have no say over anything.
1: And and, and in the S one, the the first line is Snap is a camera company. So already, if you're like an investor, you're like, well, I don't know about this management. Like they don't seem to know what they do, because um, most of us think this is a social media company. Uh, so so anyway, um, that, uh kind of led some of these institutional investors to ask who, so this is kind of a, a funny thing, a way about, thing about the way that the financial markets work is that if I'm BlackRock, I have an S&P fund, I have to buy all the companies in the S&P, I don't have a choice, that's why it's an S&P fund, mm-hmm. but I can ask S&P to change the companies they allow in. So there was institutional pressure on the people who actually created the index to stop companies with non-voting shares, new companies from non-voting sh- with non-voting shares from being allowed into the index, and S and P actually made that decision. So, Snap, as it's currently con- uh, considered, will never be in the index. Which means that people like me who own things that basically just track indexes uh, will will never own it.
0: Unless you decided to go out separately, individually on the market and buy shares yourself.
1: Yeah, and the one stock I want is snap, sure.
0: Yeah. No, you don't want Snap. No,
1: I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't see that happening.
0: <laughs> you don't want to see uh, your uh, money disappear, just like a photo.
1: Wow. Wow. That's very, very poetic. Is that, yeah, that Joyce or? Uh...
0: Look, my last name is English. I have moments. Oh,
1: there you go. Um. So, so it, it, it was kind of an interesting. I think because we had gone to this place where people cared so little about their um, rights because they didn't really have them anymore because they were using ETFs. And where tech companies were going public with these um, structures that disincentivized or, or really dismissed voting, um, some almost outright. And then Snap was a really big example of like, oh, th- and, you know, people were thinking, oh, this is the, the way the future companies are going to just not have voting rights and people are just going to be okay with it. And S&P putting their foot down and also, you know, kind of what's happened to Snap shares in the marketplace. Do you know
0: where they are right now?
1: Uh... Let's see. Uh, Fifteen fifty-six.
0: So, still well below their IP yes, price. Yes.
1: So, so that reaction, S and P's reaction, like I, it's all kind of come together to make people change their minds, and now you're so, starting to see people talk about voting rights again, and, and it, they're kind of having their having their moment.
0: Yeah, I think you know, and I'm going really broad here, really, really broad here, but um you know, I think people are probably seeing what happens when they're what happens to their information or what happens with their money when they're not more active in the process. You know, I'm thinking about like the Equifax hacking and, you know, things like that where people realize when you're passive about how you engage in companies, whether it's as a shareholder or a customer or whatever, bad things can happen. So I think that might kind of lead to kind of, you know, greater emphasis being placed on shareholder voting.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think it's true. I I think you know, it's just so funny to see the younger generation of voters more interested, uh, of shareholders uh, and voters, more interested in these voting rights than than previous generations have been um, because of the socially responsible investing thing that, that we mentioned.
0: Yeah, and I think also the pace of innovation is getting faster, too. So, you know, people might want to put the brakes on it or really have more of a say in the direction of it. You know, you look at some of these kind of like blue chip like companies, you know, like a Procter and Gamble 20 years ago or so. They're making paper towels, they're making toilet paper, they're making, you know, toothpaste and whatever, everything's fine. But, right. you know, with some of these tech companies, when what they're capable of doing is so much more, you know, people are going to want to have their say, I think.
1: Right. and I mean, there's a classic kind of debate about voting rights, which is that, oh, you know, they're kind of hijacked by quote-unquote short-term investors, um, you know, whenever Icon this is what companies always say when Icon when kind of wants a company to give more money out. I said, oh, you know, these are all short-term investors. Uh, so, but but with, with all these tech companies, I mean, th- their argument would be, "We only we know have the long-term in mind. Only we know where the company's going. So we don't want you, you know, little shareholders...
0: Getting in the way of our plans. Getting and- in the way of
1: our, our plans to control the universe, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's an interesting thing, too. I think, you know, if there's still some say... Um, you know, and you go into it knowing that you're buying something where you know it's controlled by a family or something, and you realize, okay, I am buying into the vision of the family, and I'm going to have limited shareholder rights. That's one thing, but you know, when it's like a situation like a snap where you have none, that's kind of scary. I think. And, and
1: where the company's losing money. I mean, I, I have a paper here. It hasn't been um, hasn't been published, and and I know we just went off on financial research, but uh, th- this this paper by uh, two authors, Umed Garan and. Uh, Ozugan uh, Caracas called Earnings and the Value of Voting Rights, kind of talks about how when earnings start to decline, the voting rights embedded in shares becomes more valuable, uh, which, you know, I, I don't... I don't the, the effect they find is actually relatively small, but but it, it does make a lot of conceptual sense that people would care more when they, when they start to see earnings turn the other way.
0: Yeah, and I think that's true of anything. Um, I mean, not to be... Political... Ooh! Ooh. I, I'm, I don't even want to say too much here, but, you know, the, the most recent presidential election we have, you know, the, tapped into a lot of people who just felt they hadn't been heard for a while. Yeah. And they voted. And we'll just leave it at that.
1: Yes, although... Uh, <laughs> companies uh, don't have electoral colleges, so the popular vote is actually the one that adheres. That is true. Um,
0: <laughs> And Alex just took it further. <laughs>
1: All that having been said, uh, I think we talked enough about voting rights.
0: I, I mean, is that even possible? Just remember, it's important. It I, actually is important. It is
1: important, but in other episodes we've kind of talked favorably about low-fee uh, low passive indexing, in which case, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters, it's just not, <laughs> you're never going to make those votes, so. But you should know that it's a thing. It is a thing. It's a thing. Um, This is also the last episode in our, I guess what I'm calling our first season. Yep. Uh, We're going to be going on a brief hiatus. I want to do a little credits. Our our producer is Rebecca Ungarino. She's sitting here in the swivel chair. Um, She's done a a fabulous job uh, for us this whole season and been extremely patient with us. And even allowed me to tell some jokes. So that's it's all been good. great
0: with research, with, you know, helping, uh, booking find guests points, and, booking and guests. coming
1: up with topics and, and keeping us grounded. And, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure working with her. Also want to thank Rob Zipko who helped us out for, at the beginning, uh, kind of h- helping us get set up and figuring out how to make these, this podcast thing work. Cause we're not really technological podcast people. So, uh, his, his also, I think he designed the logo if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. So, so his help is appreciated as well. Um,
0: And, uh, Alex is off to, part of the reason why we're going on hiatus now is, um, Alex will be embarking on a journey to the Cayman Islands.
1: Yes, I, uh, I announced on Twitter, I, I, my last day at CNBC was on Tuesday, uh, I have not yet announced what I'm going to do, uh.
0: I'm really hoping that he's starting a hedge fund or, like, (laughs) spying on a hedge fund or something, but, you know, he's, uh. We'll let him you know, play coy for now. I'm,
1: I'll tell you, I'm staying in the financial uh, financial media, so I'll still be making stuff um, okay. that that people can get to see. Um, so so I'll, I'll announce that myself on Twitter. Oh, by the way, I, I'm at Aces Rose on Twitter, uh,
0: and I'm at Carlton English on Twitter,
1: and Rebecca is
0: at Ungarino.
1: Okay, you didn't hear that, so it was at Ungarino. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but I'm going. I'm going to the Caymans. Uh, Carlton is going to South America.
0: Yeah, I know. It sounds so, like, sneaky and mysterious that, you know, we're both kind of embarking towards the southern hemisphere Mm -hmm. and not being coy about it. I'm actually just going on vacation. I'm really excited. It's my first real vacation in about five years. Um, Wow. Yeah. That's what happens when you change careers. I was talking to someone about it, and, you know, when you change careers, it's kind of like you lose the... The number of years you had in your former career you know it's like you're starting from scratch again
1: also so, I, I know you can't go like more than a day without talking about adp so
0: lately that's true
1: i mean how can you leave
0: you know what's really bad though the adp vote is on november 7th and i will actually be in argentina then so when the big thing happens um Well,
1: wow, you're just gonna be glued to your adp
0: I mean, I'd like to say that I'd be on vacation and, you know, tangoing and eating lots of steak and all of that stuff, but I will probably be checking in to see how that boat went. Don't
1: check on ADP, for the love of God. All right. I I think we talked enough. Uh, Oh, 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 one more thing. Um, If you're curious, our song that we've been using is called By Jingo by the All-Star Trio, which is one of the most popular jazz bands of the time, even though they are all white. Um, sp- probably because of, you know, racism, they're very popular. But uh, the song itself has kind of an interesting history. Um, the word, You know the word jingoism? Yes. Hey, speaking of Uncle Sam, uh, actually comes from this song. It was like a British, like, pro-war song.
0: The, the word comes from that song? I did not the know.
1: The word comes from... Well, yeah, it was a word, but then, you know, the, the jingoism is that word came from the song by Jingo. Then, then the song by Jingo was adapted into kind of a, a silly romance song, in the united states and it's probably that version that they're playing but anyway way too much information about this uh song you've been hearing so from but it's from it's from the 1920s which i think is kind of cool yes all right right. well enjoy enjoy your hiatus carlton
0: thank you you too enjoy your hiatus and you'll come back tanner
1: yeah yeah we'll see all right good night good night
0: black coffee drinker you know I don't do anything fancy and I could not get a coffee for less than four dollars